Heads up, friends. The unofficial Shopify podcast is made by indie entrepreneurs for indie entrepreneurs and may contain material not suitable for all audiences, like swearing or economics. Listener discretion is advised. Does your store ever feel like another drop in the ocean due to limited design options? There's a better way, I promise you. In a world where standing out is key, I know uniformity is the enemy. That's where Flex comes in, a theme from out of the sandbox designed to break free from the ordinary and unleash your creativity. Flex gives you multiple layout options, custom CSS control, and 13 unique style variants, all designed for rapid deployment and creative control. So don't let your store be another cookie cutter shop. Stand out with Flex. Out of the Sandbox has been trusted by tens of thousands of Shopify entrepreneurs for over a decade, and Flex is online store 2.0 compatible. Remember, with Flex, you have a 14-day satisfaction guarantee. If you don't love it, they'll refund it. It's time to choose uniqueness over uniformity. Choose Flex. With the market becoming more saturated every day, make the switch to Flex today and feel the difference a unique store design can make. Head to outofthesandbox.com to learn more, see the demo, and license your own copy. That's outofthesandbox.com. Hello again, my friends. Today, we're going to talk with an ex-Shopifier. He's going to tell us about numbers, margins, profits. Thomas Gleason is our guest today. He's currently the co-founder at Store Hero, and he's built what he calls a profit platform. And he's going to tell us about profitability, calculating it down to the order level. That P word, it's important and it's scary, and it gets ignored too often by people sharing screenshots of their revenue on Twitter. But he has quite the story about how he got into e-commerce and the time he spent uh, at Shopify. So I want to pick his brain on that and calculating profitability and more. It should be should be an adventure into the wilds of e-commerce. I'm Kurt Elster. Jack Nasty. And this is the unofficial Shopify podcast. <laughs> Thomas, Mr. Gleason, how are you doing? Hey, Kurt. How are you getting on? Very good. All good from my side. The, you know, lovely weather here today. Where are you located? I am in the west coast of Ireland in a place called County Clare. Um, yeah, I'm on the west coast of Ireland here. Um, first of all, just want to say really excited to be on the pod. Um, I think I've been listening to, I think my first episode I was trying to think before we came on, I think it was the Crossnet episode probably 18 months oh. ago. Yeah. Yeah. With um, Chris. Yeah, with Chris. That was it, exactly. Um, so tune in for quite a while. And during my time at Shopify, I suppose this podcast was always... Uh, intermittently coming up in various slacks of different teams. So um, it's been quite the journey for you as well, I assume. Oh, absolutely. It's always weird because like in my head, you know, maybe a hundred people listen to it, you know, and I, <laughs> I know that's not the case. And so when you hear someone, it's like, oh, this, you know, this publicly traded company uh, and occasionally your show gets passed around in Slack channels. Every time I'm always surprised and I, I suppose I shouldn't be. <laughs> Not at all, not at all. I mean, the, the the cohorts of guests you've had on over the years has been tremendous, and some of the some of the episodes have been really, really insightful. So hopefully, we can add a little bit more to that today. Well, and so I I want to go take me back to the beginning. How did you get into the world of e-commerce? What's the first thing that brought you into it? I had no choice. <laughs> um, so my let's start from the real beginning, I suppose. So yeah, I'm from Ennis in County Clare in the west coast of Ireland here. My my mother has had an e-commerce business since 2004. Oh, okay. So it's like when you could start e-com businesses. Yeah, so this is actually pre-Shopify. So um, this was, we were, we started on a company, I can't even remember the, the name of the e-commerce platform at this stage, but my mother had to do a lot of the coding for the website herself. Um, 
a lot of the payment processing had to happen through our house phones. So we were often, we were all trained in how to take an order over the phone, how to take credit card details. This was before <laughs> everything got really, really secure uh, and everything else like that. But um, You're just yeah. writing the 16 digits down on like <laughs> a napkin next to the fridge. Oh, absolutely. Not exactly PCI compliant, but you know, 2004. <laughs> Nothing was. <laughs> Um, yeah, really, really interesting. I suppose we saw the pains and the, the problems that went with uh, building an e-commerce business right from the beginning. I mean, our, at our kitchen table, we would have all known the the problems if the checkout was broken that day because, I mean, that was the main, that was my mother's main job uh, that was supporting the business below. And if the checkout was broken, which in back days, back in those days, it was broken a hell of a lot more frequently than it is today. Um, that was obviously a massive problem. Instead of Hoovering the hall in our house or cleaning our rooms, we were often doing SEO on her website and trying to build up keywords and meta tag titles and all that kind of thing. So, in terms of where e-commerce started for me, it's been uh, it's been a while. <laughs> and so, even having witnessed that, having seen the trials and tribulations, yeah, you still followed your parents into that business world. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, that was 2004. I set up my first e-commerce business myself at 18 or 19. So it was actually a business selling personalized children's books. So I used to write the books and my granddad is a great uh, artist. He's a a painter. So he used to actually paint all the illustrations for the book. So I wrote probably four to five personalized kids books. And that was my first venture in. Um, I had a couple of small e-commerce businesses after that again. Um, but really, really exciting. I never made loads of money from them or anything like that. But I mean, what an education to get to learn how to set up a website, how to source products, how to run a Facebook ad, how to set up a website, how to run an email marketing campaign, um, YouTube, Udemy, all great resources online. And yeah, such a, such a really good education. And from, well, I mean, that, that yeah, that's a, a ton of valuable skills that you mm. need as an, an online entrepreneur uh, in Pretty much all of those things were things I learned through this podcast, you know, <laughs> as I as I went. Uh, so, how at what point do you end up working at Shopify? How did that end up part of your career? Yeah, really good question. So, I suppose I think it was January 2019. I actually decided to move my personalized kids book business from another e-commerce platforms to Shopify. So, I ended up doing a good few online courses. Um, worked on that for a couple of months, got it up and running. I was doing a bit of work for, for my mom on her website. We actually migrated that around June, uh, June of 2019. Um, and then I saw an ad pop up online for a uh, Shopify support role. And I just thought to myself, well, I've been pretty immersed in this world for the last six months. Uh, what better way to learn about the platform than to go and work there? So I did a couple of interviews and yeah, I did. I think I did my onboarding about a month after that, uh, around the end of July. 2019. So um, yeah, Shopify, to be honest, an amazing experience, an amazing experience. Like I, I went in to really try and learn the ropes of how to run the platform, probably with the end goal to build an e-commerce store myself, uh, probably a bit more of a successful one uh, down the line. Um, but the more I kind of got into it, I suppose I got a real love for the more of the analytics side of things. And I suppose I was applying that to my parents' business and really saw maybe some of the drawbacks or some of the gaps that we had in our business. Um, and how I could really help them grow their business. But the more I got into that role at Shopify, I realized I probably had a better skill for helping people grow their own businesses. Um, and that's kind of the area, that's the role I've kind of gone down, I suppose, over the years. And so your, what was your role there? It was support. Yeah, so I started off in customer support, Kurt. Um, so originally helping people onboard. So how do I add a product? My checkout is broken. How do I change my theme? Um, so I did that for one year. Then I moved into Shopify Plus support. So 
the numbers got a bit bigger, platform was still the same. Um, but again, really cool to see how di different businesses of a larger scale, how they faced their problems, how they spotted opportunities and areas to, I suppose, improve their, their product roadmap as a whole. Um, so I did that for probably seven or eight months. And then from there, I went into a merchant success manager role. So essentially as an e-commerce consultant, so you're advising on e-commerce and marketing strategy along with general Shopify roadmap. So I was in that role for probably nearly two years. Um, so originally started off with brands mainly in the UK between five and 15 million. And then the last probably year was in the region of like maybe 25 to 100 million. So between my own e-commerce businesses, Mam's e-commerce business, and then actually being front and center with all of these really, really large Shopify brands, it was an amazing experience for me to really be at the front line of a lot of these e-commerce businesses, hear about their concerns, hear about what they're worried about, but also how they're actually planning for the future, how they think about different things. And yeah, I mean, I couldn't have asked for a better experience, to be honest. It sounds like you've got quite the the e-commerce education here, like lifelong, starting with a, a family business and then your own experiences and then moving to Shopify and then moving through those support roles, but kind of up the tier where mm. starting at support level, moving to plus support. So like you said, similar, similar vibes, but different, you know, bigger numbers, different, different challenges in scaling. And then uh, moving to that, that merchant success manager role, which you're right. It's like, it's a kind of support role, but it has, it's more consultant focused. What was the common theme to issues you sh you saw? I'm sure there were several, but like there's there's probably one thing that kind of stood out to you. Um, yeah. What, what what were we really trying to help with? A lot of it was, I suppose, limitations merchants might have had in the platform. So we would have to try and, I suppose, consult with the internal product teams to a help those features get built, um, or b try and find a workaround with some of the interior te internal teams to see okay, this merchant has X problem. How can we get around that? Whether that was going to be through a feature released by Shopify directly or through using a third-party solution for the Shopify app store. Um, that was a lot of the work. And generally, to be honest with you, like, and I know this from our own business at home, that a lot of e-commerce founders, like I, like at Shopify, my world was literally on the Shopify dashboard. But you have to remember, these, these people are doing often doing customer service. They're trying to source new product for next year. They're worrying about rent and rates and everything else like that. And their Shopify world is often limited to a couple of, maybe a half an hour, two hours a day, whatever it is. So a lot of the, a lot of my role at Shopify was really helping the merchants understand what the platform was actually capable of. And you'd get that insight, I suppose, from working with so many different businesses at their varying degrees of complexity and of experience, I suppose, and understanding, okay, I saw this work really well at this brand, but I can see from looking at your Shopify setup, you haven't set this up. So maybe this is something that you could actually implement Shopify flow, uh, enabling automation, I suppose, was definitely a massive part of that role. Um, often you come across merchants who are doing quite mundane, unnecessarily mundane operational pieces within the business. But once you could turn on Shopify flow, often it was a massive game changer and a hell of a time saver for a lot of businesses. It's kind of interesting. The way you describe that, the role, the client services role we adopt as an agency yeah. in our agency work really sounded no different than what you just described. At least like a lot of what I do mm. is you know, people come to you with a problem and you go, okay, well, we, you know, these three other stores they had a similar problem and solved it with this feature. Have you considered that? They're like, we didn't even know that was an option. Yeah. yeah. You, you don't know what you don't know. Or the, hey, we were told we can't do this. And the answer is like, well, 
all right, just do it a little differently, and now you can. Where it's like it's a workaround. Um, yeah, completely. And, and occasionally I mean, you get like hurry up and wait, where you know it's like okay, there's this feature that's right around the corner that's going to solve this. You just got to hold out. Completely, completely. And I mean, I, I listened to your podcast last week on Shopify Editions. Like, in a, in a in a weird way, this is often a, a criticism of the platform. It's like I can't keep up to date. Well. It's a good. It's a good criticism. You, you wouldn't want to be on an e-commerce platform that wasn't innovating fast enough because they're releasing so much. The product is advancing so much. This is good, but it also means that you need to try and stay as, as up to date as possible to really make use of the, the platform as a whole. Because even when I think back to Shopify in 2019, the platform has advanced leaps and bounds since then. Um, so trying to stay up to date with all of the new product releases and features that the platform as a whole. Is capable of it, it's challenging but us uh, spotting those areas of opportunity i suppose are what helps those brands grow as well you know five five days a week i'm spending like minimum 20 hours in that shopify admin yeah and even with across multiple stores with different different configurations and, and necessities and even with that i still don't touch every single feature there are features i probably haven't even heard of let alone used um and so sometimes, like, sometimes uh, that's frustrating in the form of FOMO, which I'm like, I bet I'm missing something. Even just after I recorded that additions episode that went live, um, well, you know, in uh, first week in August, the week after I played with a few features we talked about and I was like, oh, I, I kind of misunderstood this. And so then I'm like, I'll have to, when I do the next episode, I'll be like, oh, quick correction here. Uh, but even that, it's like I spend so much time in this. I eat, breathe, sleep it. And even with that, I still get stuff wrong about approaches until you play with it. You know, you don't you don't necessarily really understand it. But right, Shopify has a an interesting culture. And so, do you think there was any influence from you know Toby Harley that culture on the way you approach ecom and entrepreneurship now? Um. Yeah. I mean. Yes, they definitely have their stamp on how the company runs. Very mission-driven, very merchant-focused. I mean, that was probably the biggest thing I took away. You hear a lot of businesses that are merchant-focused, they're customer-focused, but when you get down to the nuts and bolts of it, it's more revenue-focused. Um, I can't say that was the case in Shopify. Um, just going back to those feature release pieces specifically, um, a lot of this stuff that would have been even announced at additions probably has come as a result of a feature a feature request for merchants over and over again. Um, yeah, we were really taught to think like an entrepreneur, I suppose, from every level. We had great uh, education perks internally, own your own development, that kind of thing. They really wanted you to think like a business owner as much as possible, even within the constraints of what is now a very, very large corporation. Ooh, inaccurate tracking. It's a silent profit killer. Every misdirected ad campaign, every misunderstood customer behavior, it's all money down the drain. But there's a fix, Elevar. It's your comprehensive tool to track and optimize all your conversions, making sure your marketing efforts aren't wasted. With Elevar, you get server-side tracking, boosted Klaviyo flow performance, and boosted meta performance. That's better data, more accurate targeting, and ultimately, more conversions. Join the ranks of over 6,500 successful D2C brands like Glossier, Viore, and Magic Spoon. They've all turbocharged their conversion tracking with Elevar. Data-driven decision-making requires solid data and insights. Don't let your competitors get ahead because you're stuck with insufficient data. Invest in Elevar now and make every marketing dollar count. Their plans start at $0 a month and all plans include a 15-day free trial. Go to getelevar.com to get started. 
E-L-E-V-A-R, Elevar. Do you have a, a fun memory, an inspiring story, a lesson, anecdote, something from your, your time at Shopify that stuck with you before we, we move on? Yeah, I suppose for me, it was all about trying to really help the business owners. And if I felt I could make an impact on their business, that was what really felt to me that I was doing a good job at my business, at my role, I suppose. Uh, one key part, I suppose, I remember was a business, an apparel business in the UK that were starting to struggle. Average order value was one piece that I suppose I had noticed hadn't really moved, even though the sales numbers as a whole had had, had increased over the over across the board. Um, their advertising costs had gone through the roof, and I suppose that contribution margin on an order level hadn't really got a whole lot better for them. So what I actually did was I spotted some really good upsell opportunities that they were missing out on that I suppose that I had seen in place with some other apparel merchants I had been working on with. Um, they did implement it, thankfully, and it did. they did see, I think it was a 15 15, 16% uplift in average order value within the first three months that did continue to maintain throughout the business. Um, that was a massive win for them. It actually changed the whole unit economics of the business as a whole. Um, and for me, that was really, really rewarding because um, they came to me with a problem. Um, I could use my experience from working with other merchants to really point out some key op areas of opportunity. In this case, it was average order value through an upsell mechanism. Um, worked really, 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 really well for them. And um, yeah, this quote, they just changed their business as a result. And so getting that, looking at those unit economics, getting the AOV up, that boosts profitability, I have to think. Yeah, absolutely. Let's, that's your, your passion project, right? Is, yeah. is profitability and unit economics. Let's switch gears to the importance of profitability. Why, why is understanding profitability not more important, but more important now than ever before in e-com? Yeah, like I suppose to start... The, the, one of the main issues I see with e-com at the moment is that everybody's orientated themselves to revenue metrics. Um, you're, everybody's looking for Shopify screenshots of the revenue. Your ROAS is a byproduct of your revenue. Your average order value is a byproduct of your revenue. Often you see LTV metrics as a byproduct of single, just revenue alone. Um, unfortunately, that doesn't take into account any margin, any contribution margin, profitability elements, that kind of thing. So I suppose my my segue into this crazy world of profitability through ecom again actually started at home. So my, my father is an accountant. So he was our accountant for Mam's business for as long as I can remember as well. Um, yeah, I suppose over the years I was doing a spreadsheet for my parents on a Monday evening, trying to pull together all of the core Shopify metrics. So not just our revenue, but our average order value, our number of sessions, our new customer rate, repeat customer rate, conversion rates. Then also trying to bring in, I suppose, all of our core Google Analytics metrics, Google Ads, Facebook Ads, TikTok, Flavio metrics, and the operational expenses of the business. Now, Kurt, it was painfully manual, to be perfectly honest with you. But I did see the value that my parents actually got having these numbers at their fingertips. Um, like a lot of businesses, I suppose, over COVID, we saw quite good growth. And that manifested itself in higher return on ad spend. Um, now, as you might have remembered at the start of the episode, I mentioned we were doing SEO for our parents' businesses for years. We actually didn't launch a paid ad until 2016-17. Um, so we're over 10 years in operation, which sounds like a dream state for anyone operating an e-com business today. Um, so we didn't need to spend heavily on paid advertising. But again, as we did over COVID, that ROAS got a lot higher. Now, as that ROAS got higher over COVID, I was going to my dad and saying, look, we need to increase these ad budgets because this ROAS is, is really, really good. Um, I'm not allowed to spend a cent in our family business without like justifying it to the nth degree. So what that forced me to do was to actually understand, okay, what is our break-even point ROAS on a product level? 
what's our break-even ROAS on a business level to really understand how much room do we have to push or do we need to pull back on our marketing spend in order to achieve profitability. Um, so as I was going to my dad with that ROAS figure, he came back and said, like, what, what is ROAS? Um, so again, it forced me to understand what those unit economics actually looked like. And it, it took me a while to get there. But, you know, when I got there, I, I noticed an issue at home as a result of that spreadsheet. But I also saw it firsthand at Shopify with a lot of the merchants where a lot of the e-commerce founders and operators today, they're getting their financial advice on how to run the business from their accountant to their bookkeeper. And a lot of the time that person isn't strictly an e-commerce accountant or an e-commerce bookkeeper. So for instance, they're just seeing the P&L at the end of every week or every month or whatever it is, but they don't understand the metrics that constitute how that P&L has come to fruition, I suppose. So they don't get conversion rates or ROAS or average order value, that kind of thing. They see total sales, OPEX, marketing spend, profitability. So essentially what a lot of these people are doing, a lot of the founders are doing is taking advice from these e-commerce, sorry, these accountants or bookkeepers who don't really understand their business. And I think that was probably allowed to fly in the last couple of years when ad spend was much, much more efficient online. Um, but as these ad costs have got more expensive, I suppose as inflation has just got, driven the cost of doing business up online, um, you really need to have a firm handle on those unit economics to really drive a profitable business today. And when you say unit economics, are, we're talking about tra being able to track these KPIs down to the order level, right? Correct, correct, correct. Yeah, so there's probably a couple of different facets within unit economics, really. So first one was the break-even point ROAS. So like understanding your ROAS isn't really much good to you unless you understand what your break-even point is. Um, you could have an agency telling you it's two or three, and that might sound great. But unless you understand what your benchmark is or your break-even point is, that's going to be very different for every business. And understanding if that's a two or a three isn't really much use to you. So you need to factor in your product costs, your transaction fees, your 3PL costs, your shipping costs, and then actually understand, okay, what is that break-even point ROAS on a product level? And then actually manifest that out over the course of the business as a whole as well to understand, okay, based on my run rate of sales today, this is my ROAS, this is my break-even point. And I suppose the arbitrage in the middle there is going to be whether you made, you made a profit today or a loss today. Walk us through it with a, an example of how knowing that profit on a single order is beneficial. Yeah, absolutely. So for instance, if you had an order and you sold it for, I don't know, $100 and you bought the product for $20, basic math would tell you that that profitability on that order is 80. But you might have to strip out your tax. You might have to also strip out your shipping costs, your transaction fees, your fulfillment costs. So your your profitability on that order might actually be somewhere else around down around $50. Um, that's a big issue, I suppose, with a lot of businesses I see today where they don't actually understand what their true gross margins actually look like because they're really just going off a revenue number and a product cost number. But e-commerce, you need to understand all those extra variable costs because that the devil is really in the detail there. And unless you have those unit economics and those those variable costs really dialed in, you're not accurate. You're not reporting accurately on what your profitability actually might look like. Now, Popping in at the end of every every day to understand your order level profitability isn't really going to be a whole lot of use to you. Um, you might be getting hundreds, if not thousands of orders a day, but popping in at the end of every week or every month and actually just sorting by, okay, this is the top 1% of profitable orders. And what is the genetic makeup of these orders? Like what has caused this subset of orders to be really, really profitable? It could be orders that have really high margin. We mightn't have given any discounts away. We mightn't have, we mightn't have given any free shipping away. So how do we replicate this as much as possible? 
Now, I'd say most, most e-commerce operators will be able to tell you what that order looks like because they're the ones they like to see all the time. But I actually think understanding the inverse of that is probably even more important from a profitability perspective in, okay, why is this subset of orders really unprofitable or really low margin making? Um, and that's actually where we're probably seeing a lot of people get even more value from the platform is, okay, why is this order generating a 5% margin? Is it because we've given them a welcome 10 discount? We've given them a free shipping threshold and we've actually haven't made much margin on the product even before those discounts. Um, a lot of the time where business owners are in a bit of shock when they actually see the margin that they're making on an order level. And I suppose understanding, yeah, those really profitable orders, that's important, but understanding the really unprofitable orders will also help you, I suppose, maybe think about your discounting strategy better, thinking about your markup better, about your promotional strategy in it's all through the lens of profitability, I suppose. Do you think for merchants who are tracking profits, that that most common mistake they're making is looking at profits with rose-colored glasses and being like, oh, well, this these are the really profitable orders. I'm doing good. I'm so smart. Mm. Because they're ignoring the other orders that may actually be costing them money. And then we, we hand wave that away with, oh, well, we've acquired those customers. They'll hmm. come back and make a second purchase. We'll make it up then. Is that, you think that's the most common mistake? What is it? Yeah, that, that's a really common mistake as well. Just really focusing on the good without trying to focus on the ugly, unfortunately. Um, they probably twofold as well in that it's really difficult to actually ascertain if you're profitable or not on an order because there is so much scattered data. Like Shopify won't tell you what your, your shipping costs are or your fulfillment costs are. You can't see your products and your transaction fees, but depending on your average order value, that fulfillment cost and that shipping cost is going to be quite a material percentage of what your, your average order is. For instance, if you have a $50 AOV and you're giving away free shipping and you work with 3PL, that could be 8 to $9 of variable cost that you're not accounting for on an order level, which is pretty significant. I mean, you're, you're getting towards 20% of your, your, your margin, your 20% of your order, um, your order value that you're not actually accounting for in terms of variable costs. So making sure that you have a data platform in place that can actually centralize all of that for you is going to be incredibly important. It sounds like we're moving into your app. You have a, a, an app, a service called Store Hero, and you described it to me as a, a profitability platform. Well, let's, let's start with what it is. It probably has come as a result of all of my experiences at home with our family business working in that spreadsheet and from working with Shopify merchants over a number of years whereby... I just saw a big gap in merchants really understanding their numbers. Um, so we, what we have built is a, is a profitability platform for e-commerce DTC brands to centralize all of their e-commerce, all of their marketing channels, and also all of their financial operations to get a true sense of those margins, unit economics, and the profitability. Um, so they can log in each day and have a full view of all of those variable costs, all of those true margins and contribution margin figures um, all the way throughout their business. What was the moment when you realized that you should pursue this? When when did you say, all right, I'm going to build this thing? Yeah, I mean, a lot of e-commerce businesses today, they are, they're operating on a good, they're operating on a solid basis. Um, but unfortunately, with the nature of any business sub 5 million is going to struggle to have the resources maybe pay for an internal data analyst. And okay, I was doing this spreadsheet for my parents for quite some time. And I would often just send the spreadsheet on a weekly basis. But I would get the feedback from my parents that this is just a wall of numbers. I, I need something to actually bring this together and tell me what's going on. So like a lot of businesses, they're not getting to the position even where they have that set of numbers or they don't know how to actually comprehend what any of it means. And um, so 
I suppose, yeah, I started working on that maybe four years ago. Um, during my time at Shopify, I was doing a college degree at night. Um, so in my final year, we had to do a thesis. So I did thesis on actually turning the spreadsheet into a real business. And then towards the end of my thesis, I met my co-founder, Carl, who was actually starting to work on something similar. And we launched in December of 2023. The Oh, all right. So this is a, a relatively new thing for you. Yeah. What were, what were some of the challenges you faced this year trying to build it? Building an app is hard. I assume this is your first and... This one is not simple. No, it, it, it's definitely not simple. Um, yeah, look, I mean, every one of the challenges, I suppose, every e-commerce business is incredibly dynamic and unique. There is a lot of similarities. Any business from any business from zero to 40, 50 million on Shopify is using a relatively similar stack, um, but yet they're all so unique and dynamic. You really need to cater for all of those different businesses, their unique needs and wants. They're all using Shopify. They're all using GA. They're all using Google Ads, Facebook Ads. A lot of them are now using TikTok ads. They all have variable costs and operational expenses as well. That part wasn't too difficult, but I suppose trying to build the edge cases as to how you want to enable merchants, I suppose, to customize the platform to their needs, but also not bring in too much where you're trying to solve for everyone. Because unfortunately, if you try and solve for everyone, you end up solving for no one because the comp the, the product just gets overly complex and it's not really much use to every anyone at all. So we probably made a, a conscious effort to maybe pull back on going really deep in certain areas for the benefit of everybody else using the platform so that's simple and easy to use and that you don't really need to be a data analyst to understand the platform, that you can log in here every day and really just start making decisions off the data that's there. Ah, spring is in the air. Give your store a fresh look this season with Zipify Pages, a one-of-a-kind landing page and sales funnel builder for Shopify. Their impressive library of templates comes from their own $175 million Shopify store. In just a few clicks, you can optimize your product pages, category pages, and even your homepage, so they're ready to make you a lot more sales. Need to do some spring cleaning on last year's marketing campaigns? They have a template for every type of marketing funnel, from holiday sales to new product launches. And because every template is tested first on their nine-figure Shopify store, you know they actually work. Zipify Pages makes it easy to run better promotions, launch better ad campaigns, and split test your way to better conversion rates. And you can do it all yourself without needing to hire an expensive designer or developer. It's no wonder Zipify Pages is used by over 5,000 Shopify merchants. Go to zipify.com slash Kurt, that's Z-I-P-I-F-Y dot com slash K-U-R-T to start your 14-day free trial today. And to get an unadvertised gift, email help at zipify.com and ask for the tech nasty bonus tech nasty there are similar tools as far as you know re reporting analytics business intelligence platforms and i find them all so dense obtuse and intimidating yeah. that you know, ultimately they don't particularly get used and so what do you, is there anything unique or special about your software that's going to set it apart from those yeah, a really good question. I suppose like we've probably conducted interviews with over probably 200 different merchants at this stage. Many of those Whoa. merchants were using uh, other platforms as well. And what you've just kind of alluded to there was probably a lot of the feedback that we got in that, okay, the data is all great here, but how do I use it? Um, because it's, it's really complex and every business owner, every business we're working with is going to have somebody 
using the platform that has a completely different level of experience. We've tried to really put a keen focus, I suppose, on the simplicity, really starting with the onboarding down to how the data is actually presented so that when you do log in, I mean, e-commerce is difficult, but if you can have your data structured in the right way, it's actually quite straightforward. There's probably two ways to make decisions. One is understanding and the other one is by using data. Uh, using your understanding is probably a bit more complex because there's a lot that goes into that. But if you have your data structured in a certain way, the decisions are often obvious. So we've tried to really make that front and center of the platform throughout. Our, our onboarding only takes probably 10 to 15 minutes. And once that's in place, you can really start making better decisions immediately based on your order level profitability, on your contribution margin, on a business level, on a new customer level. And yeah, to be honest with you, I think we've done a good job uh, even interviewing a lot of the customers that are already using the platform, that we've done quite a good job in just making things as simple as possible throughout the platform. And it's a hard thing to accept the phrase fun and easy and unit economics. Those Shit. things together don't really jive for mm -hmm. me. How, how do you think you achieve that? How are you making understanding these things accessible? Yeah, I mean, what, what the, the, probably the, the main metric we're really getting businesses to focus on today, it's not revenue, it's not ROAS, it's actually this thing called contribution margin. So essentially it's your revenue minus your total cost of goods. So making sure that you have not just your product costs in, but your shipping costs, your transaction fees, and your fulfillment fees, and any other variable costs that might go along with fulfilling that order, minus all of your marketing costs. So unfortunately, we have a situation where a lot of business owners are just constantly trying to maximize their ROAS or maximize their MER or whatever it is. Um, but getting to understand that absolute value in your contribution margin dollars or pounds or euros or whatever it is, that's what we're really trying to educate merchants on, trying to understand to grow their business properly. So again, your contribution margin is your profit before your operating expenses. I suppose just to give a bit of an example of how I've used this at home for our business, like our, our family business is quite skewed towards Q4. So typically, like I suppose like a lot of e-commerce businesses as well, we'd have a quieter summer than we definitely would have a winter. Um, and often over the years, we would pull back on marketing spend over summer because the revenue figures were low. But our operational expenses were always going to be relatively static. So often we'd be loss making or just about break even over those summer months. But because we have the data at hand now, we could actually see that the underlying unit economics were actually quite strong. But we were only just generating enough contribution margin to actually generate a profit after our operating expenses. And um, so I suppose this year we've really doubled down. We've actually nearly doubled or tripled the advertising spend. The contribution margin has gone up by about 30, 40 percent. But all that increased efficiency is actually just flowing directly to the bottom line because we have the same operation expenses in July that we would have largely in November. Might be a small variant, nothing too material. So again, we're starting to see more and more agencies, I suppose, brands get their agencies to report on contribution margin as well, as opposed to just their ROAS, because it is a really good indicator, I suppose, as of to how efficient your marketing spend is as a whole. And again, not looking at your ROAS as just a revenue number, but your contribution margin as an absolute figure of your profitability. And how do you think that contribution margin aligns with what successful marketers are looking for today as we become you know, more distrustful of ROAS reporting? Yeah, really good question. So like ROAS reporting, attribution issues, like the, they're well documented. Um, so the contribution margin isn't going to take into account anything that Facebook or Google say. It's literally just taking your total spend, your total revenue 
minus all of your cost of goods, minus your total marketing spend. And irrespective of what Facebook or Google are going to say, this contribution margin figure, we're not listening to any of those platforms. This is actually what's left at the end of the day. And as long as we can keep increasing spend and that number keep going, keep go, keep going up, um, brands are in, are, are supposed to scaling their ad spend in the confidence that they're doing the right thing for their business. If you've done 200 interviews and this thing's been running less than a year, any success stories to share from uh, a brand that's been able to use this to really understand and grow? Yeah, um, one brand I suppose we're working with in Ireland here at the moment, um, they probably had been putting too much faith in the, their agency to just report on the ROAS and their um, and, and their the revenue numbers of the business. But I suppose once we've really dug into the platform, we could see from their Facebook and Google ads account, they were definitely underspending in a lot of areas and trying to actually maybe reduce the scale of the spend um, to improve the ROAS. So for instance, they might want to spend 10K this month, but actually spending 15K at a slightly less ROAS was going to result in a much higher contribution margin for the business at the end of the day. And that business is actually, I think their profits are going up by 80, 90% this year, year to date. Mm. We started working with them in January. They were one of our pilot users. So um, we're just about to release a case study on them in the next couple of weeks, I'd say. Um, hopefully they'll always put, our, put their name to it. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's worked really, really well, to be honest with you. But again, it's probably been a bit of a mindset shift in this this idea of contribution margin sounds like a real accounting term, but essentially it's really, really important for every e-commerce business to really understand, okay, like as these ad costs go up and as your supply chain costs go up, what is the maximum profitability of this business before my marketing, before my operation expenses? Um, and once you can understand that and get into that frame of mind with your, with your, with your marketing spend, it will just enable you to grow your business a hell of a lot more. That's got to be rewarding. Your experience, your your theory here, you know, on on a, how to calculate uh, business KPIs for a, a business intelligence dashboard has helped an e-commerce brand succeed and be more profitable. That, that that's got to be rewarding. It is. It is, and like it really, it's at the cornerstone of everything that we're building. And that, like, if if I knew how to actually think about unit economics and contribution margin seven, eight years ago. Um, like our, our, we would have grown massively at home for our family business, but I didn't. And this this area of kind of a, a weird intersection between marketing and accounting is probably only starting to come to the fore now for a lot of brands. And I just see that over the years, I've seen so many brands that probably haven't done as well as they could have done because maybe they hadn't got their data in a right place. Maybe they're focusing on the, the wrong metrics, but Facebook and Google are still going to be the most probably desirable channels are the most profitable channels for most businesses, but there's still a still a lot of confusion for a lot of businesses out there and not fully comprehending what those unit economics or profitability actually look like. So I suppose we're just trying to bring the, 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 the tools, I suppose I would have seen at higher level Shopify stores to the masses so that every e-commerce business can be in a position where they can just log in every day and actually see the numbers that matter to them and how they can scale their business by doing so profitably. I mean, a lot of SMBs in particular, scaling your ad spend is terrifying. Um, you want to add an extra zero to my Facebook ads budget? Um, that's terrifying for a lot of e-commerce businesses, but you can actually have your data structured in a way that you understand the true impact profitability perspective. Um, I think you're just in a much, you're in a much better position to grow your spend confident, confidently with a lot more clarity as well. What's your vision here? As you're early on, but where do you see Store Hero? going where do you want to go next with this 
Yeah, so at the moment we have about 50 paying customers scattered throughout Ireland, the US, Australia. Um, we're really trying to hit the US a lot harder in, it, in the next couple of months as well. We've actually just launched a white labeling solution for agencies as well. So they can actually white label the Store Europe platform and just start reporting on that contribution margin figure for a lot of their brands as well. Um, we see AI as a massive uh, a massive play down the line. We don't want to get distracted by it right away. We've, we've had a lot of work to still do. Um, but I mean, we think about AI, I think the best businesses are going to be built with the fact that they have a proprietary data set built within it. Um, and I think we're confident in that, in that we're pulling the most important data from all the key sources that e-commerce operators today are operating with. And I do think down the line that there could be a massive play for us in the AI space. Uh, you know, my experience with ChatGPT suggests it's really bad at math. Like <laughs> phenomenal at copy editing. Math, you can really throw this thing for a loop with just like some basic arithmetic. I, I don't know. know that I want, I'm not ready to have ChatGPT do my bookkeeping yet. Um, no, no, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. But I mean, I, I, that's probably why we don't want to get distracted by it right away. We do see a big play for it down the line, but um, like anything, it'll get a hell of a lot better down the line. So we're probably just trying to wait, wait around for that a little bit. For sure. And all right, if you could give one piece of advice to our listeners, you know, what's the thing that they need to know to thrive in e-com with a Shopify store? It's not rocket science, <laughs> genuinely. Um, you need to start getting away from revenue numbers and focusing more on your profit numbers. This has never been more important, I suppose, in today's landscape where your ad cost is through the roof and generally the cost of business is going up. Um, I think over the years, a lot of businesses have probably got away with having those marketing and finance functions operating in silos. That was probably masqueraded by cheap CAC and ROAS on Facebook over the years, whereby your marketer didn't need to speak finance and your finance team did definitely not want to speak marketing. Um, so trying to get those two functions in unison, I think, is how the best bands are going to grow today. It is fabulous advice. And for uh, your service, how do we find how do we find Store Hero? Yeah, perfect. So you can catch us over at uh, storehero.ai, or you can catch us on LinkedIn as well. So in my notes here, I, I see you have a special offer for our listeners. Tell me about it. Yeah, so for to, for today's episode, anyone that comes on and will mention the unofficial Shopify podcast, we're actually offering a 20% off and monthly consultation calls for the first three months to really delve in and help you understand all of the key metrics that matter to your business. A, a fabulous deal. Storehero.ai. Check it out. Oh, there's AI in the TLD. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, Thomas Gleason, Store Hero, thank you so much. And to our listeners, uh, if you enjoy the episode, Subscribe, swipe up on the show art, check out the show links, uh, leave a review if you listen on iTunes and it supports that and you're feeling charitable, or uh, join our Facebook group, Unofficial Shopify Podcast Insiders, and we would be happy to have you. Until then, keep selling, my friends. Check nasty. The Unofficial Shopify Podcast is brought to you by Loop. Loop is a returns management platform that makes returns profitable and stress-free for you and your shoppers. Loop offers automated returns, exchanges, and store credit options to lower costs and increase revenue. Do you want to offer at-home pickup or boxless drop-offs? Need to lower return costs or increase repeat purchases? How about all of the above? That's what's possible with Loop. Loop delivers customized returns management solutions for Shopify merchants of all sizes, like Studs, Princess Polly, Code Epoxy to turn returns into returning customers. Find out why thousands of Shopify merchants choose Loop to manage their returns at loopreturns.com. 
That's looprreturns.com.